We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Volume. What's up, guys? It's Jason from Hoops Tonight, presented by FanDuel. Football season is here, and there is no better place to get in on the action than with FanDuel. It's my favorite sports gambling app out there. It's safe, secure, and easy to use. They have exclusive offers, tons of ways to play, like spread and money line, over-unders, team totals, same-game parlays, where you can combine multiple bets from the same game. My favorite feature is that cash-out feature, so if you already feel pretty good about your bet and you're in good shape but you don't want to lose whatever it is based on some stupid thing with garbage time at the end, you can cash out your winnings before the end of the game. Use promo code JasonT and download the FanDuel app today to make every moment more this football season. 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Indiana, Louisiana, Permitted parishes only, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXTSTEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-877-8- Hope NY or text Hope NY to 467-369 in New York. In Tennessee Redline, dial 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. Visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight, presented by FanDuel here at The Volume. Happy Tuesday again, everybody. We are continuing with our power rankings today with number four, the Los Angeles 
Clippers. We will get right into it. You guys know the drill before we get started. Subscribe to the Volumes YouTube channel so you don't miss any more of our videos. Follow me on Twitter at underscore Jason LT so you don't miss any show announcements and our NBA footage breakdowns. We can't really use it on YouTube, unfortunately, but on Twitter is usually where I'll do our film breakdowns. We're heading into real NBA games starting this Friday, so you're going to want to follow me on Twitter there. And then last but not least, if you miss one of these videos and you can't get back over to YouTube to finish them, you can find them wherever you get your podcasts under Hoops Tonight. And on that note, let's talk some basketball. So as we were working up through our tiers, if you guys remember, we had the non-contenders, the teams that I just deemed the amount of luck they would need to end up with a trophy at the end is too great because there were too many teams in front of them that would just, by virtue of the sheer number of them, one of them would have more luck or be more fortunate in combination with the talent that they have and the luck that they'd have. So I didn't view them as potential contenders. Then we had our punchers chance contenders. These were teams that did not have as much talent as the top teams in the league, but had top tier talent like superstars like a LeBron James and Anthony Davis or a Nikola Jokic or a Donovan Mitchell, right? We Those were the teams that we were looking at in that regard. Then we had our if things go right contenders. These were teams that had tons of talent, but they needed things to go right for them in order to contend. These were teams like the Brooklyn Nets, who when you look at their roster on paper, it's stacked, but we don't have to get into all the reasons over the last couple of years why that can't be necessarily depended on. Same goes for the Philadelphia 76ers. Man, you got James Harden, you got Joel Embiid, you got Tyrese Maxey, you got Tobias Harris, but there's health concerns there. There's James Harden in his age and his body holding up concerns. There's concerns with the psychology of the top players on the team and whether or not they're tough enough to really handle a 16-win playoff run. That was the kind of issue we were dealing with with that tier. Now we're heading into the top tier contenders, and I've got four teams here. And these are teams that have every single box checked as it pertains to contending for an NBA championship. They have top-tier talent. Like, with the Clippers, we're talking Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. With the Warriors, we're talking Steph Curry, right? With the uh, uh, Bucks, we're talking Giannis Antetokounmpo. With the Celtics, we're talking Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. They got the stars. They got the depth. They got talent down the roster, right? They've got the experience. They've won big playoff series before. These are teams... They have all the boxes checked, and they can even potentially weather some bad luck, kind of like the Warriors last year, losing Steph Curry to his sprained foot, losing Draymond Green to a back strain, losing or missing Klay uh, Thompson for a big chunk of the season. These teams can weather some of the storm. None of these other teams on this list are capable of weathering that storm, and that's the big thing that separates these teams uh, from the rest of the field. So we're going to be covering the LA Clippers today. This is one of my favorite teams in the NBA to talk about because this team is the personification of my core basketball beliefs. Now, again, you have to differentiate between core basketball beliefs and what your roster needs, right? Like, just because I believe in five-out basketball and switching everything on defense doesn't mean if I was coach of the Lakers that that's what I would do because with that team, they they just simply don't have the personnel to run that style, right? So the Clippers are uniquely equipped to have the players to run that style and they have a forward-thinking front office and a forward-thinking coach that runs the style of basketball that I believe in the most. So that's why I enjoy this team. That's why I was excited to dive into them today. So last year they were 42-40. and Um, They lost in the play-in tournament 
They were 25th in offense. They were 8th in defense. Kawhi Leonard did not play. Paul George only played in 31 games. Not much to take from that particular season, so I'm not going to spend a ton of time on that season. Most of the numbers and the footage that I reference is going to be from the 2021 season because that was the year that we last saw Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Reggie Jackson, Nick Batum, the core group of this team on the floor together. We did have we did learn some things. Terrence Mann took some leaps. He looks like a really good athlete that could play both ends of the floor. Attack closeouts. He's starting to shoot a little bit better too. He can defend defend pretty well. Amir Coffee also is starting to look a lot better. Norman Powell was a super interesting acquisition that adds a lot of dynamic. They kind of had a core lineup that they went down with in a lot of cases last year or two years ago, which was Reggie Jackson with Nick Batum, Marcus Morris, and then Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. They're going to have some different directions they can go there. If Nick Batum ages faster than they like, or if he just doesn't have it on any particular night, you can slide Norman Powell in there. If Reggie Jackson is getting attacked too much in post-mismatches, Norman Powell is a better defender. He's a little stout, not super tall, but he's got a bit a bit more of a physical presence, so you can slide him in there. Just a lot more uh, flexibility with their lineups, thanks to Norman Powell. So we did learn some things last year that will that will project towards this year, but for the most part, we're going to be focusing on the 2021 season when we're talking about what they like to do and the way they like to play. So this offseason, they signed John Wall. Um, it's hard to see. It's hard to say what kind of player he's going to be until we see him play real NBA basketball games. Not a big shock there. But if John Wall has anything left in the tank, the Clippers are the place where we're going to find out because in this particular system, it's going to play to his strengths. This is a guard that loved to put rim pressure to pressure the rim, and this is a team that is going to set him up with tons of space to operate. And by virtue of the lineups he'll be playing with, he'll have great matchups. He'll have the ability, attacking bench lineups, to go against weaker defenders in a spaced-out environment. We are going to find out if John Wall can still play in this league. They did lose Isaiah Hartenstein to the Knicks. Um, He was a pleasant surprise last year as a backup big. He was really gifted in the short role. If you remember all those like nifty floaters and stuff he was making, but that was where he was having a lot of success last year. It does hurt to lose him. Um, the guy they signed to replace him, Moses Brown, is definitely more of a project, not as much of a dependable backup center. But at the end of the day, this is a team that went down with their small lineups. Every time the chips were down, they didn't even play a big and then use Zubak off the bench. So at this point, I, I don't really view it as that much of a loss. Um, and then the big difference is going to be Kawhi Leonard and Paul George back in the lineup compared to uh, last year. Now, it's funny because there's been kind of a, uh, a perception around the Clippers or around the Lakers as a team that's never healthy. And LeBron James and AD are never healthy. And it's and it's kind of funny because the Clippers have gotten off the hook in that regard. And the truth of the matter is, is Kawhi Leonard and Paul George have had just as big of a problem staying healthy and being on the court as the Lakers guys have been. And a lot of pressure just like there's pressure on Anthony Davis to take care of his body and be available this year, that same pressure is on Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. Looking at the depth chart at the guard position, and this is classic Clippers. They only have two guards in their rotation and maybe two bigs in their rotation and just a shit ton of wings. So at the guard position, they have Reggie Jackson and John Wall. On the wing, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Norman Powell, Marcus Morris, Luke Kennard, Robert Covington, Nick Batum, Amir Coffey, Terrence Mann, just... 
stacked at that position. Once again, all the good teams in the league are going in that direction, unlike the Lakers who are obsessed with bigs and guards. And then at the bigs, uh, they have Avika Zubats and uh, and Moses Brown, although I don't think Moses Brown's going to play all that much. Um, Looking over at the offensive end of the ball. So, like I said before, this is the definition of modern basketball. And this is why I love watching this particular team. I dove into a bunch of footage from the 2021 season over the last couple of days because uh, that's the best place for me to find anything that translates forward with this Clippers team. And they're just a joy to watch. And it can be, you know, it's it's kind of like Brooklyn where you're not enjoying the ball movement in terms of, you know, running sets. Or I shouldn't even say ball movement. You're not enjoying the player movement, but what you appreciate is the level of skill and the willingness to make the extra pass. When the chips were down in the 2021 playoffs, they did go small. They played Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Nick Batum, Marcus Morris, and Reggie Jackson in large part to start big games and to end big games. And then they would just switch everything with that group, which we'll talk about on the defensive side of the ball. And then they would just drive and kick. When it came to sets, they had an even they were like a, an even more sparse version of the Nets. The Nets would run sets out of dead ball situations, and they would run a bunch of stuff to get Kevin Durant the ball at the elbow. But for the most part, they would dribble up the floor and just play spread, pick and roll, and spread isolation, right? Well, the Clippers are even more sparse than that. They would bring the ball up the floor and run isolation out of dead ball situations, out of timeouts. They still did occasionally run things, a lot of stuff to get Kawhi an advantage at the elbow, very similar to what Brooklyn would do with Kevin Durant. Big shot. Kawhi's more of a back-to-the-back uh, player than uh, uh, than Kevin Durant is, but they both like to operate out of that mid-range when they have an advantage. The big time that you would see them start to run sets was when Kawhi would go to the bench. And the the way they kind of organized this in that season is Patrick Beverly would come in, although this year that'll end up being John Wall. And then they'd ride most of their offense on Paul George and Luke Kennard towards the end of the first quarter, start of the second quarter. And then they would start to run some more stuff. Still a lot of isolation, still a lot of just dribble up and play basketball, but definitely more frequent with the sets. They would run things like, Classic double screen actions for Kennard coming off to shoot on the catch. They would run, uh, they would put like Marcus Morris and Zubats on the two blocks and then have Kawhi Leonard, or excuse me, Paul George and, and Luke Kennard stand directly under the basket and they'd kind of just mess around for a second and then they'd both just spread off of the two, the two screens and they'd pick which side they want to go and Kennard would get good looks off that. Paul George would get good looks off that. That's designed to confuse you because you don't know which way they're going, so it's hard to set up your screening actions and things along those lines. But make no mistake, it's exceedingly rare that they run something. This is a brute force offense through and through, five out, pick on your worst defender, drive and kick the basketball. And what's crazy is in that season, they were third in offensive rating in 2021, and their offensive rating actually went up about two points per 100 possession in the playoffs. That's the value of brute force. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr. And I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back. And joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. 
Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. In the regular season. You're not going to get as much easy stuff. You're not going to get layups and wide-open shots out of your sets often the way that you do during the playoffs. But during the playoffs, most of those sets cease to function anyway because of scouting and the way that teams can get in front of your sets. So if you can attack matchups and consistently generate advantages with your best players, that is actually the best way to go in the playoffs with exception of a small handful of teams like the Warriors who have succeeded in that regard or the Miami Heat who have succeeded in that regard. But for the most part, that brute force offense is the most effective in the NBA playoffs. They were eighth in isolation efficiency in 2021, or excuse me, frequency, ninth in efficiency. Kawhi was a little bit down that year, 0.94 points per possession, which was in the 65th percentile. Paul George was awesome. 1.07 1.07 points per isolation possession, 86th percentile. Reggie Jackson was awesome, 78th percentile, 1.13 points per possession. They were ninth in pick and roll efficiency. You see them run a lot of pick and roll with Zubats, 
but the vast majority of their ball screens are designed to get switches. So like what you'll see a lot of times down the floor and they were doing this relentlessly against the Mavericks and the jazz, but like they, they have Paul George bring the ball up the floor and just have Marcus Morris come up and set a ball screen and go bear would switch because, and, and there's a couple of different things. Like if you, uh, Gobert doesn't want to switch that. He wants to run a drop coverage, right? But one of the easiest ways as a ball handler to force a switch is to take aggressive lateral dribbles. So, for instance, if you come off the ball screen and you work slowly, it's going to allow them to run their drop coverage. But what Paul George and Kawhi Leonard do really well is, or Reggie Jackson does this as well, to sometimes force the switch. When the ball screen comes, rather than trying to do anything, they'll just take two or three really quick dribbles side to side which basically forces Rudy Gobert or whoever is the screen defender to run out on you because otherwise you're just going to shoot a wide open three. It's an easy way to force a switch in a pick and roll situation. And then a lot of times, especially in the playoffs, refs just let a lot of contact go on those screens. So you'll see like Marcus Morris almost like hug, you know, Kawhi's defender or whoever it is because the switch is coming and they just kind of let him play that way. Um, But for the most part, that's how they run their ball screens. They're not running ball screens to roll to the rim and hit pocket passes. They will only do that in the bench lineups when they have Zubak out there and the the teams are running uh, drop coverage. The the second biggest area where they attack you is in post-ups. They were actually fifth in post-up frequency, seventh in post-up efficiency. Kawhi Leonard, Zubats, and... Uh, Marcus Morris were all in the 77th percentile or better as post-up players. Kawhi Leonard averaged an outrageous 1.12 points per possession out of the post in the 2021 campaign. I wanted to spend a couple of minutes talking about Kawhi Leonard's fadeaway, and I did this in the player rankings, but I wanted to do it again for the people who didn't hear that. You know, I think Kawhi Leonard is the perfect player to watch for post-scoring from the wing. And the main reason why is he has turned what is difficult shots for most people into efficient shots by relying on his strength rather than his athleticism. So a lot of players around the league, even all-time greats like Michael Jordan, would generate most of their separation on fadeaways by elevating. And what I'm talking about here is back to the basket. Let's say I'm on the left block. I'm dribbling the ball with my left hand. The defender's on my backside. And I'm either going to turn over my left shoulder to shoot the fadeaway or I'm going to turn over my right shoulder to shoot the fadeaway. And I might fake one way or the other before going the other way. It might be immediately on the catch. It might be after a couple of dribbles. That's the general post fadeaway, right? It's Kawhi Leonard's bread and butter. The way that Kawhi Leonard does it, though, that makes him unique from the rest of the league is he generates his separation by plowing into your chest with his shoulder. So he's going to hit you with a really hard pound dribble and try to cave your chest in with that right shoulder. And then when he turns around and fades, he'll try to go straight up and down rather than fading as much. A lot of players won't initiate contact and will rather just fade a great distance with their athleticism. The hard part there is you really have to get your legs into that shot. And if you don't, you'll leave it short. You'll miss that shot. And so what the advantage there for Kawhi is he's doing the physical labor of the shot in the back down, and then the actual jumper itself is a nice, easy, wide open, 10 to 15 footer going mostly straight up and down, and he gets that shot with his strength. It's a great lesson for big wings. If you're a big wing, if you're between 6'4 and 6'8, and you want to work out of the post a little bit, that's a great way to get to your shot. Initiate contact first, then turn around and fade.
The Clippers were the best spot-up team in 2021 by a mile. They averaged 1.24 points per spot-up possession. Second place was Brooklyn at 1.12, so 12 points better per 100 possessions. This is the value of five-out basketball. Yes, the Clippers have great shooters. Yes, the Clippers have guys that can attack closeouts and extend the advantage. But by playing five out and building a culture with that group of guys who are willing to, if they have the basketball, create the advantage, if they get the basketball to extend the advantage, and then having shooters at the end that can finish plays, being willing to make the extra pass to get a great shot, that is generating higher quality spot-up possessions than anybody else in the league. It's not just talent. It's the quality of spot-up possessions they're getting. When defenses get in rotation, even the very best defenses in rotation will eventually leave something open. You might have to swing it three times. You might have to drive and kick four or five times on a possession. It's going to take a little bit of work, but if you continue to drive and kick and force the defense into rotation, eventually their slowest player will miss an assignment and somebody will get an open shot. The Clippers, that's the big difference between them and the Brooklyn Nets. With the Brooklyn Nets, it's a lot of Kevin Durant and, and Kyrie Irving looking for their own shot. The Clippers system, yes, Kawhi Leonard looks for his own shot in isolation a lot, but so much of it is an equal opportunity drive and kick offense. Everyone is in a rhythm. Everyone feels comfortable with the basketball, and as a result, they get really high-quality spot-up possessions, and they knock them down. That particular type of offense is super effective because it's impossible to scheme against. There's no scheme for a five-out driving kick. There's no defensive magical trick. You either have to help on those drives, or you let them get to the basket. And if they get to the basket, they're going to make layups. The only way to stop a five-out driving kick offense is to contain on the perimeter. It's to sit in a defensive stance and to not allow that initial dribble penetration. That's why I always talk about how uh, dribble contain is quickly becoming one of the most important skills in the league. But the reality is, is that when you do that, it's extremely difficult under any circumstances because they're going to find a matchup. Even if, you, even if you were playing a team like the Clippers and you were running five out, as long as you, like, your quicker guys can find their way onto Marcus Morris and try to drive by him, or your bigger guys can try to find their way under Reggie Jackson and try to attack him in the post, you'll find a way. There is always a little bit of a weak link somewhere on the floor for every one of the 30 teams in the league. And that's what makes the Clippers so good. They are relentless in finding the right guy and attacking him. That is scheme-proof. And that's why it translates well to the playoffs. You can't scout your way around it. The only way to stop it is dribble contain, and if you don't have the personnel to do it, you will not be able to stop them. That's why they averaged over 119 points per 100 possessions in the 2021 playoffs, where a bunch of those games didn't even have Kawhi Leonard involved. It is the strength of modern offense and how hard it is to guard, especially in a playoff setting. Um, the downsides there is you have to have the right personnel. So like I said, I wouldn't be able to run that with a team like the Lakers. And it requires buy-in. You've got to have guys willing to make the extra pass. Your initial creators have to understand that it's not just them driving into the basket and scoring. A lot of the possessions, it's just their job to draw the help defender and get the, get the train moving where they're attacking the closeouts. So moving on to the defensive end of the floor. Um, so they switch everything except for when Zubak is on the floor. 
and they always went small when the chips were down. So we're going to kind of focus on switching. And we talked drop coverage at length in the other videos in this series. There are a bunch of specific values that come with switching. First of all, stagnation. It throws everybody out of rhythm and it stops other teams' sets. Because it doesn't matter what kind of screening action you're running, if a good switching team is communicating switches and getting out in front of it, nothing will be open. That will turn you into an isolation team. That stagnates a lot of teams around the league, even great teams. The Golden State Warriors in 2018 were stagnated by the Houston Rockets, and it required excellent isolation play from Steph Curry and Kevin Durant to overcome it. That's the value of a really good switching defense. It lessens physical wear and tear of navigating screens. It's hard physically to just force your way through all these huge, strong forwards who are setting screens all over the floor. If you're switching those screens, it offsets that physical wear and tear into mental focus. And as long as you pay attention, you communicate well, and you're practiced enough to where you know when to switch and what to do, you can get in front of that stuff without having to hurt yourself physically. Um, with a team like the Clippers, it, when, you, when you get them to devolve into an isolation attack, they just don't have any good options to attack. So like, let's say you're in a fourth quarter... Eastern Conference, or excuse me, Western Conference semifinals, game six, and there's six minutes left, and they're switching everything. And they've got Marcus Morris, you know, Reggie Jackson, Nick Batum, Kawhi Leonard, or Paul George. Or let's say they put in Norman Powell for a Marcus Morris, or I think they need to keep Mark Morris out there for size, but say they put him in there for Nick Batum, okay? Who are you going to attack? Where's the good matchup? Like, I've watched lots of footage of the Utah Jazz and the Dallas Mavericks attacking Reggie Jackson in post-ups, and it's not like they were just barbecuing him. Yeah, they got some good stuff sometimes. Yeah, he's small and he's going to give some ground, but Reggie fights. He's he's a good switch defender. Marcus Morris, yeah, he's a little bit slow-footed. You can beat him off the dribble sometimes, but it's not it's not easy. And and if you have to isolate Marcus Morris and Reggie Jackson for six minutes straight. I like my chances on the other end of the floor going to work with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George probably getting better matchups than you're getting. Now, again, there are downsides. You need to have the right personnel. A lot of teams don't have the personnel to switch. It requires a lot of practice and focus. There are bad switching teams out there that botch switches all the time. The Brooklyn Nets are not a good switching team, for instance. But if you have the right personnel like the Clippers do – and you're bought in and you do it right, it can be a damn effective defense. Their metrics in the 2021 season, they were eighth in defensive rating, which was a little bit below their potential. They defended better in the playoffs, and they will be a better defensive team, I believe, this year. They're deeper, and they're more athletic. They were ninth in defending the three. They were fifth in defensive rebounding. Now, this is, this is the key difference... Uh, this is the key thing I wanted to talk about as it pertains to switching defenses. So many coaches are reticent to use a switching defense because they're terrified of giving up rebounding mismatches or post mismatches, but mainly rebounding mismatches. Like, okay, you switch, your big is out on the, the guard on the perimeter, you force him into a tough step back jumper and he misses. Okay, good, your defense did a job, but their center now has your point guard pinned under the basket. It gets an offensive rebound putback. I get why that's frustrating. But this team was fifth in defensive rebounding because size doesn't matter as much as you'd think. First of all, there are more long rebounds than ever before because of all the long jump shots. So the big guys around the rebound around the basket 
are getting fewer rebounds, and it's become more important than ever to have your guards and your wings crashing the glass. And most importantly, Ty Lue has them coached up well. They're boxing out. They're crashing the glass. That is allowing them to get those to, to secure those rebounds despite their size mismatches. A couple of areas for so again the strength of their the strength of their defense is they defensive rebound extremely well, meaning they end possessions. They defend the three point line very well, meaning they take away the second most efficient shot in basketball. They were also seventh in opponents' assists, means they stagnate teams and that disrupts the rhythm of your opponent. A couple areas of opportunity. They were 17th in transition defense, according to cleaning the glass in 2021. That should be better given the amount of athletes that they have. They were also 19th in forcing turnovers. That should be better considering the types of uh, defensive talent that they have on the floor. Um, but they do all those other things really well. They also don't foul too much. They were 11th in free throw attempts allowed. So a couple areas of opportunity, but this is a very good defense. All right. What's the best case scenario? The best case scenario is they win the title. I think this is the biggest threat to the Warriors. They can take them out of their sets by switching everything, kind of similar to the 2018 uh, Rockets did, and run, uh, turn them into a uh, isolation team. They won't run that stupid drop coverage the way that Boston did that got Steph Curry all those open jump shots at the top of the key. They won't play bigs that Steph can attack in ISO. Steph was one of the most efficient isolation players in basketball this year, averaging 1.2 points per isolation possession, but his volume was extraordinarily low because he's very picky. He only did it about once per game in the regular season. And the main reason why there is he's very picky. He typically will only attack in isolation when he gets bigs on switches. That doesn't mean he's not capable of attacking other players. He can. He's just less efficient when he's attacking great defensive players in isolation. So is everyone else in the league. Kawhi Leonard was in like in the 90s for offensive rating in isolations. And Kawhi Leonard's a great isolation player. He's just attacking better defensive players more frequently in isolation. But they don't have bigs for Steph to attack, except for in small pockets of the game when Zubak is out there. So it will force Steph to run isolation against better defensive players. They are they're a very difficult matchup for them. They have the ability on the other end of the floor, they have the ability to punish the Warriors' backcourt with better versions of Tatum and Brown. All those offensive frustrations we had with Tatum and Brown with their inability to pass the basketball, with their inability to handle the basketball without turning it over, their unwillingness to make that extra pass, that's not going to happen with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. We talked about that earlier. That's the strength of this team. They move the basketball. They generate better spot-up opportunities than anybody in the league. This is a smarter team with more ball handling than the Boston Celtics that will run a better defensive scheme. Their defensive personnel is not as good as Boston's, but they are smarter on the defensive end, in my opinion. Now, to be clear, I would pick the Warriors in that series, but I'm saying the Clippers are their biggest threat, and I'm explaining why. They're going to switch everything. They're going to stagnate the game. They're going to attack your weakest defensive links relentlessly, and if they stay healthy, they absolutely are a threat to win the title. Their worst-case scenario, pretty basic. Paul George and Kawhi Leonard get hurt, in which case they will lose in the first round or in the play-in tournament. The biggest X-factor for this team is John Wall. So, John Wall in his prime, before the injury, was an outstanding driving kick player. Almost impossible to stop from getting to the rim, and great at spraying out to three-point shooters. That makes him... Excuse me. That makes him a very organic and natural fit with this Clippers team. If he is capable still, excuse me, of doing 
of what he did before his injury, he's going to be a devastating weapon in this Clippers system. He also caught and shot the ball pretty well in Houston last year, or the year before last when he was actually playing. He was 38% on catch-and-shoot threes. And then on the defensive end of the floor, he's a short, stout athlete. Not short, you know, um, relative to guards, but short relative to the wings around the league. But he's strong, has a a low center of gravity, can slide his feet well. He should hold up well in their switching scheme. And he's got a big swing between him potentially being useless or him potentially being a real weapon for this team. That's what makes him the X factor, in my opinion. If John Wall gives you 80% of what he was before the injury, this suddenly becomes possibly the most talented team in the league. So kind of wrap all this up. This is one of my favorite teams to watch. They have at least almost as much talent as the top teams in the league, if not as much. And if John Wall pans out, they could have more talent than the rest of the teams in the league. They are extremely modern in their approach on both ends of the floor. And they're going to be a huge pain in the ass to knock out of the playoffs. That absolutely makes them a top-tier contender. I think they're the biggest threat to the Warriors out West. And they're absolutely capable of winning the title right now. I think they are the fourth most capable team at this point in the season. All right, guys. That is all I have for today. As always, I sincerely appreciate your support. And I will see you next time. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at first, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. 
And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.